This is Hugh Douglas from 9290 Game, and you listen to MTMD Sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 100, dedicated to you, the listener and supporters of this podcast, because without you, the podcast would not be what it is today. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have Mr. Greg Doyle, sports columnist for the Indianapolis Star, coming on and joining me to talk about his sports writing career and so much more. And when I was thinking about who I would have come on here on the podcast to be the guest of the 100th episode, Greg Doyle's name was the very first name that came to my mind. You may be thinking, I don't know much about Indianapolis, but I have heard that name Greg Doyle before. Well, Greg Doyle spent time at CBS Sports and then in 2014 transferred from being a national columnist to being a sports columnist for the Indianapolis Star, the main newspaper in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we, him and I have a lot of fun. Of course, we start talking about the race issues and the riots and the looting and the protests here in our country and in our locales and our communities. And then we transfer into his sports writing career. And man, let me tell you guys, this one right here was a lot of fun. Also, be on the lookout on Wednesday. We're having three episodes this week. On Wednesday, we are kind of the be the change that I the the title of last Monday's episode episode 98 we're propelling that into a series now that may be once a once a month it could be twice a month it could be four times a month depending on schedules and guests coming on and things like that but this Wednesday I have Mr. Chris LeBron and also Mr. Jeff Hunt coming on to talk about the race issues in our country and what we can do to end racism in the U.S. of A. So be on the lookout for that it was a great conversation with those two gentlemen that will drop on Wednesday and then once again, we'll have our regular episode, regular midweek episode, second episode of the week, dropping on Thursday as well. You get a triple dose of me and a double dose of Chris LeBron because Chris is going to be on Wednesday on the Be The Chain series and also on Thursday as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and take a trip to Indianapolis, Indiana to enjoy my fun conversation with Mr. Greg Doyle, sports columnist for the Indianapolis Star. Hey, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, man. Doing great. Glad you could be here with me today with what's going on in our country. And it all started, well, it started about a week and a half, two weeks ago with the George Floyd uh, getting murdered outside of the store there, had him in the cop car, took him out. Eight and a half minutes later, his life is gone. Now, that was kind of just kind of like the boiling point where so many people were frustrated with what's going on. And then there were protests started after that. And then even in our city, as you're not from Indiana, Indianapolis, but I do I do know that um, I do know that you call Indianapolis your city. So with you, well, what's going on here with you? How are you viewing things here in our city here with the riots and things and what was your kind of initial reaction, not just when you heard about George Floyd, but when you saw literally our city be overtaken with riots and looting and stuff that I never thought I would see in my lifetime? Well, you know, there's a lot here. And, and, and first of all, I'd like to, you know, the George Floyd murder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 
there's so many Castile. I mean, there's so many names that we all know. For Ferguson, there's so many cities we all know that kind of in this era will go down, much like Selma, Alabama went down. And you know, there's we we have Philadelphia, Mississippi back in the '60s. We you know, we have our cities, and um, just to you know, white people don't like to talk about white privilege. Some 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 don't. I yeah. got no problem with it. It's a real. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, and white people don't like to talk about white guilt because that implies we've done something wrong and our ancestors damn sure did. Um, and some of us are right now, but it's hard to, as a white guy, which is of course all that I am, it's hard to be on the, the wrong side of this and to watch people that look like me killing people that look like you. And, and I fight the urge and, and lose to just apologize to people when I see them. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry for what's going on. And, uh, and, and, and to, when I see someone out, a black folk person out, out walking, I make it a point that I'm smiling at you and saying, hi, oh, oh, I'm, I'm overcompensating. Like yeah. the, we're all against you. It feels like, and we're not. So let me go out of my way and even probably creep you out by running over and saying hi, because it's just so damn awful. And there's, um, so anyway, the, the George Floyd thing was just a lightning bolt from hell. Um, and then what happened the next couple of nights took about three nights, I guess, to really take off yeah. was scary. Um, but, but just for one or two nights. Because you didn't know it was just going to get worse and worse and worse. And instead, what we've seen is it's gotten better and better and better. The protests yeah. are continuing. They're peaceful. Yeah. We're seeing police. And, and there's still some bad ones out there. There's still, there's still mm-hmm. some bad of everything out there. But we're seeing cops are marching in solidarity with the protesters. We're, uh, did you see the Macarena video? I did not, no. I think it's in D.C., I'm not sure. But it looked like the National Guard wearing their camo outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the song The Macarena came on. I don't know who played it. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a like a Michael Jackson video with Thriller, where just all of a sudden all these zombies are dancing together. All these National Guard people start doing the Macarena. I mean, and they're out there to keep the peace. And anyway, we're we're just and, and the, the heroes are not the police and the, and the National Guard. But the point is, we're seeing we've never seen this kind of support from both sides, kind of agreeing. We hate what's happening. Correct. We're here to keep the peace. You're here to protest. We're going to make this in one one piece, as opposed to. You're here on one side, we're on the other, and we hate each other. It's not, it's not turning out that way right now, and this, Lord knows our country's not fixed. But this is the first time in, a long, in, in, in my lifetime where I've seen like major steps where there's maybe something going on here good. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And I, I've, been, I've had to stay off of social media a lot more than normal because emotionally I can't handle the amount of videos that are out there and the pictures. And I know that we're in a digital age, and I know that with cell phones we walk around with things in our pocket – that allow us to document things that even when I, I was born in 88, when I was born, none of that stuff was around. When I was in elementary school, middle school, even in high school, we had cell phones, but we, don't use, we didn't use cell phones then like we do now. And so all the onslaught of just everyone's thoughts being out there, everyone has a platform, everyone has videos, everyone has pictures. I had to emotionally just take a step back and be like, I can't handle this. But you're exactly right. The Sean, I think it was I think it was Sean Reed or the Dresden, I forget the, the young man's first name, but last name Reed, he got shot um, off on the northwest side. That's like five minutes away from where I live. And yesterday, just last night, Friday evening, well, Friday, I think it was Friday around four. I've been following Clark, Clark Wade on, on Twitter, and he's been putting a lot of videos up. Phenomenal job with that. And I, he had documentation around, I think, one or two o'clock. There are some cop cars there. Around three, three o'clock, there are more cop cars there. But as you said earlier, there was nobody, any, there was nothing rude or, or cruel or crooked. Nobody was shooting people. They were just protesting to get something done because there's really, we haven't heard anything about that young man unless we heard that he shot. We heard about the aftermath, but peaceful. Things are getting more peaceful. And it's a lot of the young people. And it was either my dad or somebody else was saying, 
what we're seeing right now is that young people are fed up with the older generation. And if you're listening to this and you're younger, thank you for that. If you're on the right side of this to try to end racism, because there are a lot of young people, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't really matter the color. They're literally fed up with the older generation and how, and how they have, they have kind of accepted that people are racist, but not stopped it. And even though the George Floyd thing and the riots and the looting, there have also been the regular people that are just saying, hey, man, if you're going to, if you're going to loot and, t- and tear down that, that young lady's uh, store, don't do that. And it's amazing, Greg, that people are just stepping up and saying, no, we are done with this. There's no reason for racism to be here in our country. Yeah, um, I'm right now with you at my, my girlfriend's house, um, and I spend a lot of time here, obviously, and she lives just off near Mass Ave, but okay. sort of near there. So a couple nights ago, I want to say Wednesday night, might have been Thursday, I think it was Wednesday night, the, the marchers, that night of protest, they came right down Mass Ave, all, almost to the end of Mass Ave. Like, they walked a long way. And I, because I could hear them from her front porch, I you know, ran over there just to, not as a sports writer, I ran over there as a reporter. I ran over there as a human being. Like, what's going on? I want to see this. And, yeah. Um, and I was struck by a number of things. One is, yeah, the age. Uh, it, it seems like this is a definitely 20 to 30-year-old group, mm-hmm. mainly, with some mm-hmm. outliers. Um, but I, the, the protesters at one point, they said, everybody, let's form a circle. So they, they really blocked off like five roads, which is fine, and formed a huge circle of about 1,000 people. And there was maybe... 12 leaders of the protest a couple of them had bullhorns and signs in the middle and they were all black but the thousand people in a circle around them i'm gonna say unscientifically it was two-thirds white if That's not beautiful, more man that is if beautiful. not more right it's just um we're seeing both sides you know white and black those sides saying this is not we're, we're seeing finally we're finally seeing white people say hey black folks it's up to you to fix this because that's kind of how it's always felt the black folks have gotten mad at and rightfully so at, at various police murders and they protested and it's been largely a black protest for the mm-hmm. most part. This just feels different. This feels like it's us protesting. So anyway, I went out there and, and I'm actually, I'm wearing my Indy star shirt. I have, I'm not wearing it now, but yeah. it's just, I've got about 10 shirts with a collar on them. They're nice. And one of them is a free one. Indy star gave me. So I wear it. I don't wear it to, to hair, but ask me who I write for. I just, I wear it cause it's a shirt I have. Right. And, uh, and I was actually wearing it that night, not knowing the protests were coming to my front doorstep almost, but I, so I'm out there in my Indy Star shirt, and no one says a word to me. That, the point of the story is not that. The point is, even though I'm wearing my Indy Star shirt, at one point, the, the guy at the bullhorn says, if you support Black Lives Matter, if you support whatever, put your hand in the air. And I'm standing out there, and there's a 1,000 people with their hand in the air, and I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm gonna, if, if this 50-year-old white guy is going to stand out here and not put his hand in the air. So I'm, at, at, that point, I, 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 at that point, I joined him, and, yeah. um, and I'm out there with him and, and just decided, you know what, I'm a human being. I'm not, a, I'm not an Indy Star person, I'm just, and I'm with him. And... Uh, and I, I, you know what? I hate him saying that. And I'll, I'll stop rambling here in a minute. But people like me are so desperate to uh, prove is the wrong word, but we're so desperate to not be smeared yeah. by people like President Trump and the people that support him right now and think he's right. Yeah. Um, so people like me are doing everything we can to like, like, like as I'm doing to you, telling you, hey, I had my fist in the air, and hey, I, <laughs> and I, and I hate to, I, I, I don't mean to come across like I'm some heroic guy or something. No, I just I don't get want to come it. across I, I like a it. bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not like there's a lot of bad guys out there, and 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 the last, the last, it's okay. Real quick, the people that wear have a Confederate flag in their truck, you know, they, they will say, I'm not racist. This isn't about racism. This is about whatever they say it's about. To which I always say and think and wonder, but the whole world sees that flag in your trunk, and we all think you're racist. Right or wrong, that's what we all think. And you know that. Mm-hmm. And if you're okay with the world thinking that, then you must be. Because nobody who's pure of heart 
could stomach the idea of someone thinking, the world thinking I'm racist. If the world thought, if there's anything in my wardrobe, the world said, hey, if you wear that, you're racist. I don't care if my son made it for me when he was three years old. I'm burning that son bitch. Yeah. Because I'm not wearing anything that makes people think I'm a bad guy. I'm not doing it. So anyway, I want to apologize right now for trying to come across too much as, hey, I'm on the right side of this. I just, <laughs> boy, the idea, the idea of being on the wrong side of this is terrifying, right? It's just terrifying. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I wasn't going to go this route, but I will because it just happened. And I know you were, you were able to be in here. Um, I think it was Chris Ballard, uh, Kevin Pritchard of the Colts and also the Pacers. What was the message that they portrayed from their point of view about what's going on and then also what their plan of action is to end racism here? Here's the humility that I love. And one of my favorite human traits is, is humility, which is ironic because people that, that really know me know that I'm, I don't have as much humility as I probably want people to think I do. <laughs> um, I got a lot of confidence, but um, I, maybe that's why I love humility so much because I wish I had more of it. But um, humility is such a winning trait. It is. You combine humility with talent. Like I speak at high schools and colleges and middle schools, some, you know, whenever somebody will let the, the dumb sports writer in their room and talk. And I always talk about to the, tell the kids, Hey, you, you guys, everybody in this room has something you're good at. Um, the worst thing you can do is let the world know that you know, you're good at that. Like if you can be like, if you're the best basketball player in your team and you walk around the halls of school, like you don't know you're the best basketball player, we're going to love you for that. Yeah. So I bring up that just to say, Kevin, Kevin Pritchard is the president of the Pacers. Chris Bowder is the gene of the Colts. They are, 50-something-year-old guys with tons of money, tons of street cred to, of, of, of just being great at their jobs, tons of fame, tons of all this, and they're leaders of their organizations and leaders of, of like, a, there's only 30 or 32 in the whole world, and they're among those. So they're impressive men, and yet both of them independently, separately said this week, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And I've been wrong about this whole thing, and I've, not, I've been ignorant. Shame on me. Kevin Pritchard was crying, and I was on Zoom call watching him. He's crying as he talked about, stories his african-american colleagues a scout a, a player a coach were telling him he was crying because he didn't know and he said we're in the same locker room together and we go out and we play basketball games and we go to war and i think i'm on the same team with all these guys and i didn't know that when they leave the, the locker room they go out in the real world that they don't feel safe as i feel i didn't yeah. know that yeah. and um anyway ballard said much the same thing and anyway it's, it's remarkable and that is a lesson that is the kind of leadership that people who have my demographics need to embrace is that it's okay to say, you don't know what you don't know. The problem is that people are so, they're so cocky. Like, Oh, I'm, I've got all the answers. You can't tell me, no, no, you don't know. And it's okay. You don't know. Joe Smasiak, big Joe, of a 10, seven fan. Mm -hmm. Nice man. Yes. I mean, he really is a nice guy, but he has no idea what he doesn't know. He doesn't right. know what he doesn't know. And he's got a microphone and he's making the world worse yes. because he doesn't know. Yeah. And uh, it's awesome that Ballard and Pritchard say, I don't know, but I want to learn. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate. You mentioned Big Big Joe. Um, I my work schedule allowed for me to listen to him and uh, him and Grady a lot more than I can now with him and Rickard being one together. And I think I hate when people get suspended. I don't like things like that that happen. But I do understand that, as you said, so he made he made some comments that were off color. They weren't right at all. And he now he has time to literally just sit back and reflect and watch the world as the world has come. Literally, the world, Greg, thirteen countries. 13 countries have come together to march in where they live and say Black Lives Matter. They may have never come across a black person. They may have never come to America before in their life, but they're coming together to support us, man. And I'm going to try. I, I told you this may come out. They're going to come together to try to help us. And I say us as a black man yeah. to try to help us have the same privileges that you have. And it's beautiful. I can't. I, that's the only word that comes to my mind. It's just beautiful to see so many people coming together to support one great cause. 
because they're human beings. They're coming together to support people. Yeah. And it turns out people don't look like them. But the, the thing is, when, when you get punished, like, like Joe got punished, when, when you get smacked, like people get smacked, there's two ways to react. One is you can get really mad and bitter and, and internalize it and decide everybody's wrong and woes me. Or you can do what, you know, what Drew Brees did. Yeah. When the world came, the world fell on his head and it should have, it yes. should have, but it took him. And, and people will say he was shamed into apologizing or he was bullied into apologizing. I don't think the all time passing leader in the NFL, a guy that I don't think Drew Brees is bullied into anything. No. I think he listened like, wait a minute, the whole world is telling me I'm wrong with the exception of a few right wing idiots. Then maybe I'm wrong and yeah. uh, good for him. And I hope the joke comes out of this better. And I, and I, I suspect he will. Cause he's kind of, I don't even want to say this and, and, and say, go wrong on this but every interaction i've ever had with joe of course i i interact with him as a white guy but he's got a good heart yeah he, he just doesn't know what he doesn't know and maybe yeah. he's, maybe this will teach him something because you can't go on the radio and this isn't about joe anymore it's about anybody you can't go on the radio you can't go on print you can't even go on twitter if you have four followers or four million you can't go on twitter and presume that you know better than 13 countries and you know better than hundreds of millions of people and you know better than riots in every city protests in every city in america almost you can't say they're all wrong. None of them know what I know as a 58 year old white man. Really? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, the arrogance that that requires, the arrogance of I know more with my life experiences than these folks with theirs, even though yeah. I've never lived their life. Yeah. I, I'm, I just, oh. Yeah, it gets me too. It gets me too. You're very passionate. It's, I've known that from reading your articles. I listened to podcasts you've been on, interviews. I actually listened this morning to the one that you did with Amy Lawrence on, the, on, the, on her radio show. Uh, when did you know – I know you, had, you probably had a love for sports at a young age, but when did you know that your career wanted to be a sports writer? Well, that's a story um, – that's a story that became a story in the newspaper. And in the story in the newspaper, um, at one point I killed somebody. I, I killed somebody off in my story. It's, it's a bad story, but it's a good story. Yeah. Um, I'm in ninth grade. So I'm in ninth grade in, in New Glarus, Wisconsin. And, mm -hmm. and I'm a kid like, like I'm sure you were like maybe, but like a lot of kids are, you know, I played, I played whatever sport was in season. I played it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, right. You grow up, you do that. And I grew up playing sports and loved them all. And so my ninth grade teacher says to me, Hey, uh, you, you like sports. And she, she's my English teacher. She goes, you like, you like sports you like to write or you're a pretty good writer or something like that. Have you ever thought about being a sports writer? I mean, she combined the two words, sports. I, uh, until that moment, I never had. Um, I, I will never know if I was going to be a sports writer. But at that exact moment, you talk about a light bulb going off, bing, yeah. at that moment, I'm yeah. a sports writer at that moment. And I became one and, and that's how it started. So I tell that story all the time to kids because kids ask me, you know, at classrooms, they all want to know, you know, how'd you know when you started? Mm -hmm. So I tell them that story. About a year ago, I'm telling that story I mean, in a little humble setting, it's like a, a little Catholic school north side, like yeah. fifth grade something. I'm telling these fifth graders that story, and her name is Mrs. Connor. And I said, you know what? I've, I've never thanked Mrs. Connor. I'm going to go find Mrs. Connor. I'm going to thank her for what she did for me. And so I immediately set out to go find Mrs. Connor. And I can't find her. I mean, I find her on, on Google. You know, I'm, you know, like a lot of people who do what I do, I'm pretty good at Google. I can find a lot of stuff. And, right. and I find her. I find her. I find her. But around... I forget the year, but around the year 2004 or so, she disappears. She's, I can't find her anymore. I find all these references to Miss Connor, and it's very clearly 2004 and earlier. And she's, you know, she was my teacher almost 35 years ago. So I've got to, I, I pretty much know where this is going. Um, that she, you know, so I called the school district and tell them, hey, I'm, you know, I, I went to school there. I became a sports writer. Mrs. Connor's the one who did it. Um, I'm looking for her. I can't find her. Can you give a phone number? I'm sure she retired, but you have a phone number for her. And the person said, I'm sorry, Miss Connor passed away several years ago. 
Oh, and man. which is exactly what I suspected, right? right. I can't find right. her on Google. She's got to be 30 years older than me. I'm older than dirt. So she's dead. So I wrote the story, put it online about how I tell the story. Miss Connor got me into sports writing and I went and found her. And the, the ending to my story is she died. This is teacher appreciation week. This ran in May of 2019. Mm-hmm. This is teacher appreciation week. Don't let this happen to you. If you have a Mrs. Connor, go thank her. So the story goes online um, at about, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And it, it kind of takes off among teacher circles and I'm getting a lot of emails from people thanking me and it's nice. And then, and then I get an email from a guy up in Minnesota of all places. Hmm. Miss Connor, Miss Connor was my teacher in Wisconsin, but I got an email from a guy in Minnesota saying, Hey, your story on Mrs. Connor has gone over really well up here, especially with one of my neighbors, Mrs. Connor. And I'm what? like, Oh no, I killed Mrs. Connor in the newspaper. and She's oh. not dead. Yeah. That's not a mistake you can make. I'm, no. I'm thinking, I'm literally thinking, am I going to get fired for this? Did I, yeah. did I just lose my career? trying to thank my English teacher. Um, so the guy, I find Mrs. Connor's phone number from this guy. I talked to her. I apologize. She's laughing about it. She's saying, I hope you don't get in trouble. I rewrite the ending of the story. And so in print the next day, the story finally runs and it runs correctly, but it also runs with, you know, I, I tell people, I, you know, I killed her off, but it turns out she's alive and blah, blah, blah. And it turned out fine. But so I knew in ninth grade, I was gonna be a sports writer. What I didn't know was that 45 years later, I would kill the woman who, who suggested it to me. Ridiculous. So ridiculous. I, I it, It's just one of those things where like you, you want to trust the internet. You want to trust the internet for information, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and I, I know better than being a, you know, a, a sports writer, whatever I am, I know better than to trust the internet. And, and, yeah. But I just, I, I kind of, you know, when you have an assumption, you go in thinking, I hope she's alive. I wonder if she's alive. And then you start seeing suggestions your brain lets you go where it doesn't quite know where to go yet. Right. Um, but yeah, things being wrong on the internet, I've got a Wikipedia page someone made for me. I mean, there's 10 million of us have wiki pages, but, but that thing uh, about once a year, someone will let me know, Hey, uh, someone's having fun with your Wikipedia page. So when you say you can't trust what you're in the internet, like if you were to go to my wiki page, you would say that I, you know, I, I've got all these criminal proclivities. <laughs> People get on there and edit it and make me out to be a monster and all this. So no, you can't, you can't trust the internet. I promise you. No, no, you can't. You can't. And one thing I've noticed, um, well, you, I heard, first heard about your name, was it with CBS? I heard about you when you came to the star, but I was always wondering, a national columnist like yourself, a former national columnist, you, you got that story, you knew you wanted to be a sports writer in ninth grade, like you said, Mrs. Connors class, all of that stuff. But then you transitioned, you were down at, I think, wasn't it Miami? You were with the Marlins? I covered the Marlins and then from there, Charlotte Observer covering Duke and Carolina and then CBS after that. So that was, Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, but then that transition from ninth grade through college, through the first part of your career and then getting that job with CBS sports, was that your end goal or was that something that you like said, Oh, with my career, I want to wind up with a national website or was that something that just happened to happen? Well, um, you ask a question, you'll get an answer. Uh, my goal as a kid, once I wanted to be a sports writer, so probably by, back in college, I'm in the school paper and there's a, you know, you're surrounded by people like you that want to be sports writers. And we, my goal in 1992 was to write for Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated back then for the internet, that was the biggest, that was the, that was the pinnacle of sports writing is to write for them. I wanted to write for them and I was so cocky about it. And, um, and I mean, you know, you, you look where I am now. So I, I was, you can, you can guess or or I'll just say it. I was a pretty good college writer, right? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. you have to be, you have to be. So people like me were good back then, but the problem is, and this is why I tell college kids all the time, high school kids, even if you're good at something, don't let people know, you know, right. I let everybody know I was good. Right. I let everybody know I was unsufferable. And 
So one time I'm running for, at, at my school paper at University of Florida, mm-hmm. uh, we had a couple of positions you had to actually run for. You, you, you couldn't just, the managing editor of the paper, you had to run for that. And there was a five, five person adult board that oversaw the whole paper. And there was candidates and they interviewed you and vetted you and, and they picked one. They voted and picked one. Well, the year I ran for managing editor, I ran unopposed because nobody was going to run against me because I was going to win. You weren't, you know, and if you didn't know I was that good, I'd ask me, I would have told you. So right. I was going <laughs> to, I ran and, and I was so cocky during, and I still had to interview before the board. I was so insufferably arrogant that at one point, one of the five adults said to me, um, I'm not sure I can put the newspaper in your hands. Your, your ego's out of control. And I said, 15 years from now, when I'm at Sports Illustrated, you don't want to be the person that didn't make me managing editor of the school paper. And uh, I won that election running against nobody. I won yeah. it by a vote of three to two. I almost lost to nobody because I was that out of control. So, yes, my goal was always to write for a national type thing. That's right. what I thought, you know. Um, and I got – and CBS, I, I mean, I, I, in a way I got there. Yes, it's national in the sense that it's not local. But let's be very honest. Um, back when I got to CBS and when I was yeah. there and even now, yeah. there's ESPN, there's Yahoo, there's the athletic now mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a couple places that are national. There's still sports illustrated got dismantled a year ago, but um, CBS was national, but it wasn't right. National. Right. right? I know what you mean. Like there's the New York Yankees and there's the Kansas city Royals. Right. I was working for the Kansas city Royals. So um, I still liked it, but anyway, uh, the star job came open and um, Bob Kravitz left to mm-hmm. go work for a TV station and the news broke on Twitter and I'm reading Twitter and I see tweets like Bob Kravitz has left the Indianapolis star and I'm living in Cincinnati at the time. And, the only reaction I had to that, and I knew Bob and I know Bob, but my only reaction to that was, damn, I hope the star calls me, which I didn't realize was going to be my reaction to that news. So anyway, I, and, th- and that turns out they called a couple hours later and that's how that happened. But it's, it's a weird move to go from national to local. Some people thought to yeah. me, it's the most perfect move ever. And, and it has been. I'll get back to that Bob Kravitz thing and your transition from CBS to Indy star here in a second, but is there a story or an experience or just a time at CBS that you say would be one of the highlights of writing for them oh yeah you know what i've got one because it was a highlight it changed my life um, okay and, and you know not in a great noble way but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i think it's 2007 the the, the ufc mixed martial arts the ufc mm-hmm. was not quite underground anymore but it was a niche sport and it still is a niche but it was a very small niche back then and that was back when people like john mccain were calling it human cockfighting and yeah. Um, UFC was not even sanctioned in most states in America or around the world. So it was clearly on the wrong side of history at that moment. And I hated it. Had never even seen it, but just the idea of it when I'd heard about it. And I was very, right. I was very willing to have strong opinions about things I didn't know. And, right. and I, unfortunately, I still am sometimes, but um, I hated it. The UFC came to Columbus, Ohio. I think it was March 3rd, 2007. I think it was UFC 70. Came to Columbus, Ohio. I was in Cincinnati. I drove up. With the sole intention of just ripping the sport apart. I'm going to go and watch this thing, and I'm going to rip it. And I'm kind of, kind of like you're the hot take guy. Oh, I was Mr. Hot Take. Oh, I was. Oh, that's what – back then, hot takes are what people wanted to read. Yeah. As dumb as it sounds now, 10, 12 years ago, people liked hot takes. True. And I was – unfortunately, I was one of the last really good hot take artists. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was – it's like having a comb over. I didn't realize how bad it looked. I didn't know. I, <laughs> no. I went to uh, UFC 70 to write a hot take on this sport, and – Three hours later, I wrote a love poem for this sport. I fell in love with it. Fell in, I mean, like overnight, boom. 
and started training at a UFC gym that had a couple of UFC fighters and oh, wow. middleweight champion, Rich, Rich Franklin at the time and mm-hmm. became a boxer and had four amateur fights and um, talked about getting on the UFC reality show back, you know, the ultimate fighter reality show back when it was smaller and a guy like me maybe had a chance, although I didn't, but anyway, I fell in love with it. And UFC is really the only sport I like to watch on TV anymore. I, I cover so many sports, you know, live basketball, football. I, I did baseball for three years and maybe because I have ADD, I, I, UFC is the only thing I watch. It's all, it's, yeah. I watch old UFC fights. It's what I do. When I want to, when I want to break from my work, from whatever, I sit down, I queue up an old UFC fight and I watch it. And then I get off the couch and go to something else. So that was for me, that, that is a, a life changing moment was covering that event for CBS. I'm curious what it was from that sport that got your attention. Because Great I, question. Keep going. Because I, I might me myself I can't do it. I try and sit down to watch a fight. I can't, I can't do it. There's a guy, there's my friends, guys I work with. You watch a fight? No. Like one of the, I'm not a, I'm not a late guy, late night guy. So that's, that could be part of it. But also when I do stay up late, I just can't sit down and watch it. Even when it comes to like the boxing. No, that I, there's something in me. I don't know what it is. I can't get pulled towards that, towards that sport. But for you, it changed how you view the sport when you went there to cover it. I'm curious to hear what from that got your attention. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and there's an answer. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, I don't really know why. No, I know exactly why. Um, when Growing up, I didn't like fighting. You know, kids in the pro- program would fight, and it scared me. I mean, fighting terrified me. The idea of being in one, even watching one, because yeah. watching two kids fight, all I could think of is, oh, no, what, what if that's me? What if someone pulls me in there? I'm going to get my – I hate it. I was scared of it, all that. Um, so I think that's par- probably why I hated UFC – the idea of it, you, you hate what you fear, right? I mean, that's right, what, you, right? You hate what you fear. So I went there and what I saw was this wasn't, and, and UFC mixed martial arts. I mean, it is a brutal form of fighting. You know, and people know I mean, you, in boxing, you knock a guy down and you go to a cor- corner and let him stand up and the referee has to clear him to get back and keep fighting. UFC, you knock a guy down, you're allowed to jump on him and pound him until someone pulls you off hmm. and, and, and you're allowed to choke people until they're unconscious. I mean, you're, it is so much more violent than any, any other form of fighting. And yet what I saw that night, and it's, it's, it's always every now and then there's some rivalries. You don't see it very much, but for the most part, the camaraderie between the actual fighters, I mean, the two guys that are almost literally, they will kill each other, one of another, if there's not a referee in there to pull them off. Um, the camaraderie between those guys when the fight, even before the fight, you know, a little bit, but after the fight, I mean, the, the bell rings and they immediately start hugging and joking and laughing because they know they've just shared 15 minutes that no one else will ever share with them. It's not romantic, the wrong word, but it's, there's some bonding there that you get that you bond with somebody. And I fell in love with that. It was the camaraderie. I fell in love with the camaraderie. I, I I loved it and, and craved it. And, and, uh, and I've never been part of like, I'm not in the police. I wasn't in the military, didn't play football beyond sixth, seventh grade. So Mm -hmm. I played sports, but not that one. So I don't have a lot of these team bonding physical things that men have and women too. Um, but I started boxing and one of the best things about boxing is, is you, you spar with people. And when the round's over or the boxing session's over, you, you hug. And you, I mean, it's just, I love that hug after a hard round. After, like I'm trying to break your nose and you're trying to break mine and my nose has been broken twice. And you hug the guy that just broke your nose because it's not, I don't know. It's just something special about that. I, and I realized that doesn't speak to everybody. Right. But it just really spoke to me. Right. It reminds me of when I was younger there was the battles that Eddie George and Ray Lewis used to have. They respected each other. They were on uh, um, Ray Lewis defense, Eddie George offense, two guys, very strong, very big. 
and they were great at their positions. But when they battled, you knew. And when they're on the field against each other, you knew that they wanted to not, – I'm going to say it's kill each other, but not, not to kill, like literally kill, but I'm trying to hurt – hit you so hard that you feel it the next play, the next play, and the rest of the game. But after the game, even now to this day, those two guys have, shut, have such – um, great respect for each other because of the competitors and the f- literal fighters that they are. And it sounds very similar that, that that's kind of your attraction to that combat fighting. Yeah. And, and the thing about the, the fighters is they're such, and it doesn't look like it. I realize it doesn't, the way they talk, the way they hype fights, which is all promotion, but the way they look with the tattoos and the way that, you know, they, they look scary. And, uh, but one thing I, I, I love about fighters um, as, as someone who's not nearly as good as the good ones, and I'm not, um, is that when you spar with the guy, who's better than you. I mean, someone will always be better, better than someone else. So if there's two people in a ring, someone's better. I mean, every now and then you're just perfectly matched, but for the most part, someone's better. Yeah. And whether, and the, the person that's better knows it. The person who's not better in my case, me rarely knows it. Like <laughs> people like me just like, I, I think I can fight anybody yeah. and I'm wrong, but um, the good ones know. And so what they do is when they spar, they, they keep, they, they let you have your fun and they spar at your level just enough to let you get what you want, but they, they're just better than you, just enough so that you don't go crazy. So if I get too close to a guy, if, if I'm starting to really tee off on a guy because he's letting me have my fun, they'll pop you really good to let you know, hey, son, step back a little bit. You're not quite there yet. And it's just, it's, it's, they're so kind, even as they're beating you up, they're kind because they're letting you go. And case in point, I've sparred several times with Chris Lytle, who was a pro boxer and a real good yeah. one, and a UFC fighter and a great one. And he and I actually had a, had a real fight, uh, I mean, a real sanctioned to kind of fight and, and he beat me but um we've sparred several times before and after that and and he's so much better than me it's ridiculous i mean he could he could hurt me anytime he wants but he lets me feel like i'm part of it lets me feel like i'm like he's not just condescending me he's we're going we're going but if, if i if i get a little bit too frisky with him if i hit him too hard if i get away with something too much he reminds me with a with a really good shot somewhere like yeah hey, step back a little bit and i really appreciate all that and that, and and all fighters are like Chris Lytle was with me. They, they all have that decency about them where I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you, but don't go too far here. Yeah. Something that I believe happened at your time with CBS before you came to Indy, but now you get the effects of this game while you're here in Indy is the IU-Kentucky basketball rivalry. I'm going to give you a little background of myself. My mom went to IU. A lot of her good friends went to IU. Oh, the guy, the man, what's his name? Shelbyville basketball, high school basketball the first black guy. Uh, yes. So she knows um, his, his whole family, and my mom knows him as well. So family ties to IU for a long, a long time. And when I'm watching that IU-Kentucky game, I think it was December 11th, the last time, December of 2011, excuse me, that they, that they actually played um, a regular season game. I'm sitting there, me and my buddy watching the game, Waffer hits the shot. It was the same exact play that they ran earlier in the – they ran earlier in the game in the first half and for the same success. And Wofford hit the shot on the other end of the court. Last second, uh, last second of that game, last seconds, he hits the shot at the buzzer. Nick Vital goes crazy. Literally, he was scared for his life because all the fans were jumping over, over the uh, table that he was announcing the game at. But that game there, I've heard so many stories like the game's not going to come back. Calipari doesn't want to go back there. When, I don't know if you were covering that game for CBS or not, but do you know if that game is ever going to come back? You know, I, I should have been at that game. I, I should have been. I was in Cincinnati. I went to a lot of IU games. I was not there. Okay. And it's a damn shame I was not there. And, and I'll get back to your question there in a minute. Yeah. This topic. But I wanted to tell you about another IU game I should have been at. It was, uh, it was around 2010 or 11, 12, something like that. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was middle of winter, obviously. And 
there's a snowstorm that night and my driveway in Ohio is a hill, a small one, but a hill yeah. that goes down into the, into the garage. So my car was at the bottom of my driveway. It snowed overnight and froze. I couldn't get out my driveway, literally couldn't leave my driveway. So I didn't go to the game that night. Couldn't go to the IU game. I was supposed to come for CBS. That was the night Brendan Plavik of UNC Charlotte hit a 50 footer at the, at the buzzer to oh, win the man. game. Oh and man. At the buzzer to win it. Yeah. And, and it apparently came a half second after the buzzer, but they got it wrong and they gave it to him and it shouldn't have counted. Like and that, and I used the bubble all year. And so that one game, that one result that was wrong was like, it was one of the bigger games of the whole year just because of that. And I should have been there, but I got snowed in my own driveway. So I'm not at every game I should have been at, including the Kentucky game you're talking about. Um, I truly believe Calipari when he says um, that he, I, IU fans want to say they're, they're scared to come back. And people like Calipari, you don't get to be John Calipari by being scared of anybody. You right. don't. I mean, that, that, you know, sometimes the most obvious answer is not the answer. Usually right. it is. Yeah. But so, sometimes it's just too damn easy to think that. He's not scared of anybody. But he just – the schedule in Kentucky, especially – I mean, Kentucky basketball has never been small. But he went there and took it to a whole new level. Yes, he and did. And everybody wants to play Kentucky. And, and he's got all these options and chances to make money and home and home and great opponents. And let's be honest, IU is not upheld into the bargain. No. If IU is Kentucky, if they were that good every year, those teams would be playing – there would be – that game would be happening somewhere, yeah, yeah. home and home, something. But I use not help helps into the bargain. So Kentucky, it doesn't do you any good to, and I hate saying this, but it's just the truth to, um, you don't punch down. And right now, I'm not talking about historically, right now, Kentucky would be punching down to play IU. And why do you give that? It's, it's, it's the reason why teams, it's the reason why teams don't like IU typically won't go to Indiana State. They won't go to Fort Wayne. They won't go to Valpo. North Carolina will not go play at Lenore Ryan. In North right. Carolina. You don't play in-state teams that are below you on their court because you have nothing to gain. Right. Like beating them doesn't do you any good, but losing right. them hurts. So he's got nothing to gain by being here. Um, it's not about fear. It's just about he's got so many more games where you have something to gain. So I do think it'll happen again, but it's up to IU. It's not up to John Calipari to get some, some courage. It's up to IU and Archie Miller to get IU to the point where Kentucky says, I want to be part of that. Because right yeah. now they, they don't care. They don't want to be part of this. It's not because Christian Wofford had shot nine years ago. It's right. because they, there's nothing here for them. It's, it's so hard to believe it's been nine years. Like, as you say that, as you're talking, I'm like, they haven't played a regular season game in nine years. Like, here with me growing up, now, I, it, this isn't on the national level like a North Carolina and Duke. But locally, that's all Indiana fans care about. If they have Kentucky on the, on the schedule, all Indiana fans care about is beating Kentucky. But like you said, Indiana's been on the downfall since night – well – kind of when Knight was here, and then it, it kind of went further south, and then Knight left. They had Mike Davis went to the national championship game, and then he fell off, and Kelvin Sampson, he did what he did. Um, Crean, and then you have Archie Miller. It's like everyone's looking like, when is Indiana going to get back? And I don't know. Like, so Sampson, okay, he's a, he's a cool coach, but he doesn't do it right, and he has his uh, recruiting things. And you're right. I, I don't like to think about it that way like you do, but you're exactly right. Like, it would be like a step down, and – for Calipari, he's like, we want to get our players at a level so that when it's SEC tournament time and NCAA tournament time, they're way better than they were during the non-conference time. And we have to play some games during the non-conference time that help us and prepare us for the end of the season. And playing IU definitely doesn't do that. No, the way anybody schedules, anybody really good schedules, is if you're going to go on the road, you want to play a team that it's okay if they beat you. Um, it won't hurt you too much, and it won't help them too much. 
Um, so you go if you're Kentucky, you you'll play Duke at Duke, or you'll play whatever. You'll you'll play yeah. North Carolina. You'll play because it's okay if you lose. It's okay mm-hmm. if you lose, and and the other team is supposed to win, and it's not going to help them uh, uh, too much in recruiting because they don't need any help. But if you're if you're Kentucky, if you're IU, you don't go to Fort Wayne because it's not okay to lose there. Right. But if you do, Fort Wayne might beat you for a recruit. I mean, maybe, but but so if you're if you're Kentucky, you don't go to IU because the Walker shot showed. You know, it's not okay to lose here. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's not about being afraid. It's more about being what's in it for us. Yeah. Uh, it's, there's got to be something. What's the benefit? We're, we go to somewhere we're supposed to win there. And, and granted, Kentucky IU is not IU Fort Wayne. I mean, it's a lot closer than that. But yes, the onus is on IU. And the onus is it's, it's on IU to get better. And and people who say IU, who wonder, can IU ever be what it was? First of all, in Bob Knight, they had, I mean, arguably, not even arguably implies there's an argument. There's no argument here. One of the best coaches of all time. Yes. I mean, there's no question about it. Yes. Like all yeah, the, the history shows one of the best ever. When you have a guy that good, you're going to be great. So it's all about who the coach is. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently about IU that makes it easier. I don't think a mediocre coach becomes a really good one because he's at IU. In fact, it might work the other way because the pressure here is so much because what Bob Knight did and what McCracken yes. did before him, yes. the pressure is so great that it can crush you if you're not really good. So IU almost the exact opposite of what some people might want to say is that, hey, we, we should hire somebody pretty good and be great. No, no, no. The pressure is so big that if you hire someone pretty good, it's going to crush them. Mm-hmm. But if you hire someone great, it can, it can, the tipping point can be reached, and you, the great coach can make it even greater, which is what Bob Knight did. So it's all about the right coach. Put it this way. I, I feel like I know, I think, Cal Perry, when he went to Kentucky, was the IU job open that year? Maybe not. But I don't know. What year was it? I forget when he went there. Like 12 or 13, maybe not. But IU has tried to – they've reached out to Cal Perry over the years. I mean, I don't know how many year times, but they have. If they had ever hired him, IU would be Kentucky or would have Kentucky's resume of last decade. Yes, yes. It, you're, you're as good as your coach. And I'm not saying Archie Miller's not a good. I'm just saying there are levels. And if you get, if this coach comes here, IU goes there. And by there, I mean to the, to the moon. And we all thought – well, not we all thought. I thought Archie Miller was that guy three or four years ago. I wrote. They hit a home run. This is – I mean, I thought I thought Archie Miller would be a brilliant hire, and I'm not saying it can't happen, um, but I thought he'd be better than he's been so far. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he's got another year or two to prove it, and with new AD in town coming, you know, well, well, it's new AD, but he's been there. Um, but still, a new AD want, you know, they he didn't hire Archie, and he believes in continuity, like Fred Glass did, but he didn't hire Archie, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I know you mentioned it earlier, the whole Bob Kravitz. Um, Bob Kravitz went to the TV station here locally in Indianapolis, and then you were at CBS, I think it was like 2014, and you heard about him leaving. You said, I hope they call me. Why? Great question. And um, I want to backpedal on one thing and say, okay. you know, I mentioned earlier, they called me that night. Um, this business, so many businesses, is who you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the editor, of the, the managing editor of IndyStar, the guy in charge of hiring, was a man named Ronnie Ramos, who happened to be at the Miami Herald as an assistant sports editor when I was covering the Marlins. So Ronnie and I had known each other in 95, six and seven. And and he liked me. Okay. I mean, I liked him. Okay. And so we hadn't really kept in touch that much, but we had history. So it's who, you know, Um, I I don't want to pretend that that didn't help me at all. (laughs) That did. So uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I've got a lot of confidence, but I've been humbled and I, I don't want to come across as whatever I, you know, could come across as, but um, I wanted this job without knowing I wanted it again. I, first of all, the job wasn't open. 
Um, and so I never thought, boy, I can't wait till Kravitz retires. So I, I mean, it never even occurred to me. I, I'm a very much a routine guy. I eat the same food every day. I, I, I'm, I'm, you wouldn't believe it. I'm so routinized. And that includes, I've got a job. I'm going to keep this job. I'm going to stay in this job. I'm going to stay in this house. I'm going to die in this house. I'm going to die in this job. Um, that's who I am. So when my first thought in 2014 was, I hope the star calls me, that thought blew me away. I couldn't believe that that was my thought. But then I started thinking, look, why why that come out of your head? And I, because I, a couple things. One is I've only been, until 2014, I'd only been to Indy really for big events. I'd only been here for Final Four, Super Bowl. I was there for that one in 2010 or 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, Regionals, um, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe a Big Ten tournament, although I'm not sure. But the biggest, the biggest events, I've been here for those. Were you here? I don't mean to cut you off. Were you here? Um, the Duke Butler Final Four. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, oh I, and my view, my view sitting courtside, I was there was almost a line between. Not it wasn't perfect because because Gordon Hayward wasn't on the sideline, but I was sort of behind Hayward. Yeah. So when he when he shot that fifty footer, I had a pretty good view of it, and I thought it was in. So yeah, yeah, I was here for that. Okay. When, when, when you're here, when you and, and sport people say this, and I say this a lot, but it's true. No city in America, none, and I've been to all of them except for Vegas, but Vegas doesn't hold big events really. They, I mean, they, they don't hold the final four there. I've been to Super Bowls, Final Fours, World Series, NBA Finals, whatever. Nobody does a big event like Indy does. It just it, – it's – our geography, the downtown is so compact. It's so walkable. People are so friendly. You feel so safe. And, it, you know, the, the road signs they put up, like for the Big Ten Tournament, they put, they put up road signs like here's Maryland Avenue and here's Rutgers Street. And here's, you know, the, I mean, we, we're all, we're, we are almost dorky in the way we embrace these things. It's endearing. So I fell in love with it for that reason. Um, but also I had a good friend um, who had ALS and was, was dying of ALS. Of course, if you have ALS, you're, you're dying of ALS. And she lived in Greenwood. Um, okay. And I'd come and see her several times and, and really liked the, through her knew a few people, but just c- could tell the indie people were good people, nice yeah. people, yeah. Midwest people. So those are the reasons I wanted to be here. And, uh, and I, yeah, I'm so glad. And shortly after you came here, and I've, I, I started, I, I do a lot of, um, a lot of reading, a reading of your articles, listening on radio shows, and it, I don't know how long it took you, but you adopted this term about you in Indianapolis. This is my city. This is, I, 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 I haven't been here. I'm not from here. My, my, you, you mentioned Wisconsin going to school, uh, covered the Marlins. You lived in Cincinnati. But you call, you say this is my city, and for people here, that means something. I'm sure it does for all the listeners here of the podcast in your local area. If somebody comes in from out of the area and then comes in to say it's my city, you're like, oh wow, I like that. But then if they say it and there's no action behind it, you like, oh, I don't like that person because their words are different than their actions. But your actions match your words, calling this my city. And I am sure since you've been here, Greg, you have gotten a great welcoming from sports fans all over the state because you go all over to find these stories and they're thinking, wow, this guy, he's not from here, but he calls this my city. Jay, you, you, you've done a lot of research. Obviously you, you've paid attention and, and I, I don't know that the, the way that I kind of claim this place is my own. I don't know how subtle that's been, but I, I don't do it all the time, but I, right. I, I've done it. You clearly have, I appreciate talking to someone who knows exactly what they're talking about. It's, it's fun. It's wonderful. Yes. Uh, it's, Thank it's you. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's uplifting. Like, wow, this guy cared nothing. But um, let me, this might help explain this a little bit, a little bit. So uh, I'm going to use my fingers. I'm going to run, I'm going to run out of fingers. I bet. I don't even know what the number is, but I was born in Hawaii, uh, then moved to Oklahoma, Mississippi, middle school, Wisconsin for just one year, Miss Connors year, high school in Georgia. Uh, also lived in Tennessee, Memphis for, for one half year. So that's six uh, college in Florida, 
um, and then a couple cities in Florida, both same Florida. I went to North Carolina, um, lived in Indiana, uh, Ohio. Okay, I, I, I use 10 fingers. Indiana's my 10th state that I can call home, 10th. So I'm not a guy with a whole lot of roots. You know, um, I, I, I've always claimed Mississippi and Oklahoma. Uh, but, you know, graduate high school in Georgia and went to college in Florida. So I've got some deep connections to certain states. But um, I, I wanted to be here, first of all. You know, I've lived in nine states before I came here. I right. wanted to be here. And, and living in, working for CBS, I could live anywhere I wanted. And right. uh, I, chose, I chose, they told me, wait a minute, I chose Ohio to be in the Midwest. But I could be anywhere uh, back then. In 2014, I could be anywhere. And I wanted to be here. And that said something to me. And, and I wanted to be here for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd never been a city columnist before. I'd never had – in Charlotte, I, you know, I covered Duke, and I covered some teams. In Miami, I covered some teams. But I never was a city columnist. And I don't – I am not – I am not the voice of Indianapolis sports. I, I'm, I am not – that's not what I am saying here. Right. But, but what I am saying here is that, that when I write something, I am representing us. I'm one of the voices for sure. I'm representing us, and I, or whether people want me to or not, I right, feel like right, I am. Right. And, and I've, I've become something I never thought I'd become. And it's, it's almost a homer, but not quite. Because a, tr- a pure, true homer is someone who watches the teams he covers, the Colts, the Pacers, IU, Purdue, and wants them to win and is upset when they don't. And that's not where I am. But I am a homer in the sense that, that especially now six years later, but it, it took me about a year to feel this way, is that this is my city. These people are my people. I, I'm, I'm their person. Like, I, you know, we're all in this together. And I want us to win. By, by when, I mean, I want us happy. I want us successful. So, for example, when New England cheats the NFL team in my city, yeah. I'm pissed off at Bill Belichick and Tom yeah. Brady. And, and, you know, just whatever that looks like, I, I want the best for us. And, 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 um, but you're right, the actions have to follow the words. You can't just say this is my city. But some people would say this is my city and point to the court and, and think it's, it's enough to say that and do that because I'm, I'm, I'm great and I'm here. No, no, no. This city is great. And I'm here. So this is my city. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all that means. This city and this state is great. And I'm here. So I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about that. And, and I can't learn enough. I love going around the, around the state and the city too, but wherever. New Rockney's uh, gravesite, um, Washington, Indiana, to, to, to Dave DeJournet, the first great African-American basketball player, 30 years for Oscar Robertson. I mean, just to find these stories all over the state and all over town. I went to the, the 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 funeral site of Oscar Charleston, great Negro League ball player. Yeah, who uh, Negro League Hall of Famer, uh, baseball Hall of Famer. Um, anyway, I, there's stories like that that I just I want to discover. I want I want to learn more about this place. It was, and I'm going to go a little bit longer than I planned, but it's okay. We're having a lot of fun here. Thank you, Tyler. Tyler Trent, that story, that connection. It was one that when I, I used the word hot take guy earlier, because like I said, I've listened to a lot of your interviews and you and you said it yourself. You were like hot take guy. That was kind of a thing back then. But taking the hot take guy, going to the Tyler Trent connection to the point that even you said you spoke at his funeral. Scott Van Pelt came from uh, Bristol to come to the funeral. And there were all these people that came around. Was that a story that you was that something that you stumbled upon? Because I know, I know you and I are local here. We both live in Indianapolis. But there are a lot of people here that listen around the country to the podcast and even some around the world. So they may be wondering, how does a guy go from a hot take guy then Jay starts talking about a Tyler Trent story that I've heard of, but Tyler Trent's no longer here. And then Greg is a guy that's very hot take-ish, hot take-y. But then the story, when you hear about, and you hear about the connection and your connection and how not just Tyler felt like loved you, but you loved Tyler. And then the family welcomed you into their home and then all the other organizations locally that hopped in to support Tyler. 
how did that how did that connection take place well first of all i, I was mr hot take guy for sure at cbs and about my last six months there i started to get away from that um which might have been part of the reason why i was ready to come to indianapolis uh, or you know wanted to be here um because i realized people don't like me you know i'm a hot take guy and, and people read it and it gets a lot of clicks but people right. think i'm a jerk yeah and and i was trying to get clicks i mean i believed everything i wrote but there's a lot of nice things I believe too that I wouldn't write because it's not going to get clicks. I mean, this is a business. And so I was doing that at CBS and I hated it. Um, so I, I, and I'm not a jerk. Um, but, so anyway, I started, but the, the better stories I hear, it, it's harder work. It's really easy to wake up and get pissed off at something that happened to LeBron James or get pissed off that Kurt Schilling said what he said, whatever, and write a thousand words in one hour and be done with your work for the day. Mm-hmm. That was easy. It's harder to, to drive, to drive to Washington, Indiana and, and visit Dave Jernet's childhood home and talk, you know, that's hard, uh, but it's more rewarding and it shows my heart. Um, so uh, I was becoming that way anyway. Um, and I've tried to be that way here. Tyler um, happened very organically. He, he, I'd heard about him before. Well, I'd heard about him before he became famous at all. This, okay. There's this kid at Purdue that wants to be a sports writer, is fighting cancer, and, but I never met him. And then about a year before he died, mm-hmm. um, he was at Purdue the Purdue basketball beat writer for the school paper and couldn't go to the NCAA tournament with Purdue. They went to Detroit, I think that year. He couldn't go because his cancer had come back. Oh, wow. And I just thought that's, that's a sad story, but that's a story. Like this kid should be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I met him at a Starbucks in Carmel where he lives on my way to Detroit. I'm driving to Detroit to go see Purdue. I think it was Detroit. And uh, I met him on the way in Carmel. I live in the South side, I live in Greenwood. And, uh, so I'm gonna write about him, and so I wrote a story that said, you know, Tyler Trent should be there, and he's not. And here's why. And here's who Tyler Trent is. And, but after sitting down and talking to him for however long we talked, an hour, I could, you know, I, some people I write about, even you know, sick kids or sick whatever, and, and it gets in your heart, and you you really care about them, but you realize that was a story, and I'm gonna move on with my life. Tyler, I kind of just knew that there's, and maybe because I've got two sons about his age, there's something different about Tyler. Right. And 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 obviously, years later, we all know there <laughs> there there was something different about Tyler. Anyway, he and I just became friends after that story. We keep in touch a little bit. And then his cancer came back one more time and he had to leave school and, or, and he had to stay home and he lived in Carmel and I'm 45 minutes away, but I, I knew he liked me and I knew I liked him. So I went and started visiting him every week just to lift his spirits and heck it lifted mine to see him. So that's where that kind of happened. And I did see people around the country um, tapping into Tyler, a lot of it for good reasons a lot of it for good reasons. Like they cared about him. They wanted to uplift him and spread the message. But there were some people you could tell were tapping into Tyler because they could tell that he's popular and wonderful. And if they could be seen with Tyler, then that would maybe make them look good. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying I'm right about every person I thought that about, but I thought that about a lot of people and didn't like it. Um, so anyway, Tyler was, he, he started for me as a story, but just became someone I cared about a whole lot. And, uh, and, and, and time has shown that, that I, my instincts on that one were right. That is a wonderful kid. I'll never see somebody like, I mean, I will never see Tyler Trent, someone like that. That'll never yeah. happen. I don't know if anybody will, but I'll never see one of those again in my lifetime. Yeah, it's a touching story. Uh, we could keep on going. Um, I, I Trust me, but this, is, this has been a lot of fun. I, I, you can tell I follow you quite a bit, just what you're doing here locally. And for me, I got a Colts hat on. It's really nice to see someone that even if they're not from the area, don't know, really grow up here at all. And then they come here, and then they just basically adopt the city, and the city adopts them, and it's like a mutual connection, a mutual friendship, love for the for a common thing, the Pacers, the Colts, um, IU, Purdue, whatever it is, even the high school local sports. You, you go wherever the story is or wherever you're, something's pulling on your heart, you go there. And I really appreciate that, that you're willing to just f- find a way to get the odd stories and go 
Washington, Indiana. I'm sure you may have been down to Seymour or something. Oh, um, yeah. you, you may have been up to – have you done something about the, um, the region northeast, about the basketball up there and how it's, how it's not what it used to be? I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. I, I, if you have, it escapes my memory. No, but there's a, there is a conference tournament that I need to get to. Okay. I've heard about it for a couple of years. And I, I don't, off the top of my head, don't know the name, but, but there's a conference tournament up there that used to be, that is a big deal, used to be a much bigger deal, but it's still kind of a big deal in that little area. Right. Kind of like the Connorsville plays, um, is it Union County? Connorsville versus Union County. I think County. so. I think That's so. That's the season opener for both teams. They open the season against each other at, this, at the Spartan Bowl, I think it is. At yeah, 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 yeah. Union County, Union County fans. And it's one of those deals like it's a big deal, but it used to be a big deal around the state. Now it's just a big deal there, but it still happens. So the region has their big deals that are small for us, but big for them. I want to go yes. see it one day. But anyway, Connorsville plays Union County every year. About 10 Union County kids, it changes every year, but 10 kids get basketballs and dribble the basketball and jog from Union County to Connorsville, dribbling the whole way for tip-off. And it's like 12 miles. Or are you something serious? Like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I went there a couple years ago. It's right before Thanksgiving. And – drove around and watched them running and watched them yeah. dribbling and took yeah. pictures of them. And, and they were, one of them was bleeding by the time he got there because he had tripped and fallen, but he kept running. So anyway, there's stories like that all over the place, including the region um, that yeah, I need to get to. One more thing I just want to say real quick, my, yeah. my love for this city and the state, it's also a Penny star. You know, the, this is the best job I've ever had. I, I just can't begin to say why and how much, but um, I get emails every now and then from readers. And, and these are very flattering emails that say, please don't leave, you know, or, you know, and I got I get a lot of emails from people <laughs> saying, please do leave. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not, people don't like me too. And I get that, but um, I get a lot like, Hey, please don't leave. I really enjoy reading you. And, and I, I'm just, I know one day you're going to leave us, but, but you know, don't, um, no, I'm not. Uh, first of all, because I love it here so much, but like I've had, you know, we talked about the athletic earlier. Um, I just want to say this because I want people to know how committed I am. They tried to hire me and uh, they, there was a lot of money on the table. And it, it's one thing to have principles and all that when you don't really need them. But man, when there's a lot of money on the table, yeah. those principles are, I'm not sure how important they are anymore, right. <laughs> but there's a lot of money on the table. And, uh, and I said, no, because I, I don't know how much more I can demonstrate. And I, I guess I, just like earlier, I wanted to establish my cred that I'm not on the wrong side. I'm on the right side of this whole yeah. race relation thing. Yeah. Well, I'm on the, I'm on the right side of Indianapolis and the Indy star. I just am. And, and people might think he's full of crap, but I, I am. So there you go. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. I, I, I couldn't end this without doing some rapid fire questions. Just don't match your first thought, first question, right. or first answer that comes to your head at the end, you can promote yourself. People want to connect with you on Twitter. Then also where you, uh, they can listen to, or excuse me, not listen. I'm used to talking to podcasters where they can write, uh, read, excuse me, read your articles. And I'm going to say, go ahead and do your talk about the need for subscriptions to local papers around the country. I don't personally do that normally, but I know how it, how it touches you and how it affects you. And I know it, it would mean more for you, for you to say it, a writer, than coming from me. Um, so at the end of that, we'll just get all into that stuff. But um, rapid fire, number one, I know how – well, if we have an NFL season, will the Colts win the AFC South? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Why are you so confident? Uh, because they're so much better on paper than they've been. The Tennessee Titans, um, I, I think lightning in a bottle. You know, they, they had a great year, uh, but, but Blaine Gabbert or whoever their quarterback is, Tannehill, it's one of those guys. Whatever happened, that was a fluke. Not going to happen yeah. again. Not with that quarterback. It's a fluke. Yeah. And, the, and the Texans are just too injury prone. So, yeah, and, and the Colts look great. This is the best Colts. Listen, I was here for the AFC Championship game several years ago when the Patriots cheated. Um, I've seen every Colts team since then. This is by far on paper the best Colts team I've seen in my time here. Number two, 
favorite place to cover a game? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I can't rapid fire that one. I, 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 I got to say, um, I'll, okay, two things real quick. <laughs> Historically, nothing compares to Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke. And I, you know, I realize people don't want to hear that. I get it. But, man, and, and I'm not a Duke guy. You know, Duke fans think I hate them, and they're not correct, but they, Duke fans don't like me. Um, there's nothing like Cameron Indoor. There's just – I don't know what else to say. There's nothing like it. However, in this market, and people really have not like this, and you might not either, Mackey Arena has the best atmosphere. I've heard city. good things about that. The, the atmosphere is unbelievable. And I'm talking about the music they play, mm-hmm. the videos they play to get the fans fired up, the, the songs, the, the, the walkout song as the players are leaving the tunnel, the clapping they do. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. IU is good. IU is good. Uh, it's hard not to be good. Purdue's great. And if you, I, I'm, I'm willing to venture to guess, and something I need to write this, but I don't want to piss off IU fans. They don't want to hear that. Right. But if you're neutral, if you're neutral and you go to both arenas, there's, it's almost no comparison as far as just one of them's really, really good and one of them's okay. Least favorite place to cover a game? Oh, um, well, West Virginia football, East Carolina football, those people are nuts. They throw beer bottles at you. Um, let's see, locally, uh, least favorite place to cover a game. Uh, um, oh, boy. I, I can't go local. I can't even I, – I can't do it. Uh, yeah, I'll stay, I'll stay out, outside the area. You know, I didn't like the Dean Dome. How about that, the Dean Dome? Okay. Um, uh, Cameron Indoor Special, Dean Dome, North Carolina – huge too big and the fans there have been spoiled for so long and of course i haven't been there in 10 years but but it took a whole lot to get them excited and it was a shame because they had a great product but they weren't excited they'd seen it all so i i, I was never impressed with the team though i've heard that people um describe those fans as the wine and cheese crowd oh yeah oh yeah for sure and and there's a student section and they can get rabid but but it, they sell twenty thousand tickets and probably seventeen thousand of them are, are older with money people that want it's like they're watching theater and this is not theater. And this is college basketball. And it's got to be rabid. You're not rabid. Favorite vacation spot? Okay, I don't take vacations. I, um, I'm lame. Um, I don't do that. My, so my favorite vacation spot is my, my uh, brown leather lazy boy that I bought from Big Lots. A great chair. Great price. Um, might not last very long, but while it lasts, I love it. And I sit there and I recline. And I put on UFC fight and watch it. That's, that's how I spend my, my time off, including a week off. A game you would love to attend that you haven't attended – no, a game you would love to cover, excuse me. A game you would love to cover that you haven't covered before. A Conor McGregor fight. Um, the, the only thing – and I've covered some UFC fights, but I've never – and maybe championship fight. I don't really remember. Probably not, though. But um, never, never Conor McGregor fight. Would love to attend that. Um, otherwise, I, I've kind of done almost everything um, with one exception. I've not done the, I've not done the Olympics. And this will show you – like what a homebody I am. I told you I don't take vacations. I don't like to travel that much. I, okay, wait, wait. I don't like to travel, period. Um, I do it for my job, but I don't like it. So the USA Today asked me to go to Tokyo in 2020 for the Olympics, back when there was going to be that. And I, I told them, do I have to go? Like, is my job depending on me going to Tokyo? No, then I don't want to go. And, and no, nobody says no to that. No one says no to three weeks in Tokyo on the company's dime. No one says no to that. But to me, that sounded like hell. Like, don't make me do that. So, anyway, Conor McGregor championship fight, ideally at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, although that would never happen. But then I wouldn't have to travel. I could just watch it and go home. <laughs> um, let's do something local. Now, I'll, I'll do something different like I normally do here. Who would win in a game of one-on-one, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? 
Oh, LeBron. LeBron would back him down and just power over him, and you couldn't stop him. LeBron is the most physically perfect basketball player of all time. Yeah. We have never seen anybody with that size, strength, speed, skill. We've seen more skilled people. But the combination of all of that there has never existed. Shooting ability, uh, again, there have been better shooters, but, but the whole thing, he is perfect. However, Michael Jordan's the best winner of all time. Yeah. But that's a team game. You put one-on-one, LeBron James beats every in his prime, beats everybody. It's amazing that he's been able to kind of have the body of Carl Malone, but put that with today's science and, techn- science and uh, uh, information on health, and then also be able to put that with the speed. It's, it's, it's otherworldly, out of this world, what he's been able to do with his body to not just build it, but last 17 years in the NBA, and he's, he's probably going to play 2021. And his vision, his, I mean, he sees the court like Magic Johnson saw it almost. And, and, and intelligence, I think we assume just because a guy doesn't go to college, therefore how smart can he be? It just, it's just kind of one of those things like, oh, you're smart? Oh, where'd you go to school? You know, so he went out of high school. That guy's brain, he embarrassed me one time at a press conference. I asked him a question, and he just – I asked him a question he wasn't expecting. And in, in 30 seconds, he tore me a new one very nicely. And it went, it went viral in 2010. <laughs> uh, his brain, you know, intelligence is not your degree. Intelligence is how fast does information come into your brain and what comes out of it. That guy's brain, in, unbelievable. So it's a, it's a big part of also why he's so great, in addition to physically just, whoa. I don't care if you take a, like a minute, minute and a half on this one. For people outside of Indiana, why is high school basketball so special? If you were to explain that to them. Okay, in this state, first of all, there's, there's tradition. People, we go to these games, we read about them, we talk about them, we think about them, and, and we think about Rick Mount, and we think about Oscar Robertson and, and Damon Bailey. So there's, all, there's this, tra- this track record history of I was there when this happened or I heard about this when this happened, and people are going to say I was there when Romeo Langford was doing his thing. And I was there in Seymour when Romeo played in the regional. Um, and I, that was unbelievable to watch the crowd uh, around Romeo. That was, that was impossible to watch yeah. that. So when, when there are great high school players in our state that are popular, Romeo is a, a level I, I, I've never – I don't know if I'll ever see that again. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Um, so there, there's that. Um, but there's also – this is just basketball state where we – for some reason, while the rest of the world has gravitated towards football and maybe in some pockets baseball, we still see basketball as kind of like the nirvana of sports. And so we, we value these kids doing what they do in these little bitty towns who have, who have very little else. They've got a lot – I mean, Connersville has lost – factories and jobs yes. and, and, and they've had and we've had opioid things around the state and small but these small towns they have their basketball team and they love and it's almost like they cling to it harder than ever now because it's yeah. almost all they've got in some places and it's uh it's breathtaking to go to these gyms i i, I live in a lot of places i've told you i've been in a lot of high school gyms around the, mm-hmm. around the country just because my job and whatever um you don't expect to see a thousand people or more in a, in a high school gym for a regular season game in january but you see it here almost anywhere you go it's incredible I know it was um, – I'm going to knock out the last one. But I know it was, I believe, 2015. It was um, the winter we had a really bad snowstorm. And it was southport evansville Wrights. Now, that game had to get postponed due to the weather. And evansville Wrights was like, we still wanted to play Southport. Like, Southport was good that year. evansville Wrights was good that year. I think it was the year that Southport may have gotten to the semis. No, I forget how deep Southport went. They were really good. They had, yeah, they had Bronk and Scruggs. Yes, and that yes. was the year that Romeo Langford beat them up in yeah. the uh, – So, it was a semi-state game. Yeah, and Romeo Langford went off. That was the game I saw Romeo. He's a sophomore. I watched the video highlights of it. And we all knew he was good. But I was on radio show. Radio show at, the, at that point, he was like number 25 prospect in the country. Yeah. And I was telling people, 
Romeo's a pro. He'll, he's a one and done. He's a pro. He's one of the best players we've ever, ever seen. So anyway, anyway, yes, I remember that team in that game. I know what you're talking about. Yes. So I had planned on going to the first game when those two teams were supposed to play, but my schedule didn't, well, it got canceled. Then I made plans to go the second game and or the, the rescheduled game. Well, that game there, it got played on a Saturday. I believe it was a Saturday afternoon. I got there and you've been to Southport for, for tournament games, uh, games throughout the regular season. Like it's if it's a big, if it's a big game, it's hard to find a place to park. Well, I have found a way to park right across the street from the school in a street that really it gets kind of take it up, but it's not, I don't have to park, like walk a mile to get to the, to get to the school. And for people listening to this, they'll be like, what do you mean, Jay? Like walk a mile. Trust me. You've been to, I'm pretty sure you've been to Washington. I went to Richmond for, for a semi-state game. Like if you get to these big games when seven, eight, 8,500 plus fans, crazy wild, it's hard to find a place to park. And that day there, I got there at the end of the JV game and there was nowhere to sit. 7,500 people, nowhere to sit, standing room only. I literally stood the entire game, and I didn't care because I love high school basketball. I have my entire life in high school. They're like, what are you, what are you trying to go to high school games from? Like, um, I love this stuff. It's just, it's indie. And so, like, that game there, I'm like, oh, wow. And I had been out of Indiana for a while, came back. This is why I love high school sports, high school basketball. It's not just me. And that's not just that day in a regular season game in a Saturday afternoon. When it snowed still, I believe, that day, that's all season long. You mentioned Connersville. There are so many of those small little uh, schools, Washington being one of them, um, Lagodi being one of them. There are so many of these small schools that when it's game time, the town shuts down like it used to and everybody comes out. Oh, when Connersville play the, plays a high school tournament game, a state tournament game, the city shuts down and Connersville leaves. Connersville's no longer there. Connersville's now in Seymour. Connersville's now in Newcastle. They're gone. Um, Blackford is that way with Luke Brown. Uh, you go to a, a Blackford game to watch Luke Brown, Homer Road, because he's a traveling circus. And you've you got to get there for the JV tip-off where you don't have a seat for varsity. It's just how it is. Yeah, I grew up going – I went to LC, and the LCLN game is the same way. If you don't get there for the tip-off of the JV game, you're not getting in, and you're better off buying a pre-ticket um, uh, before beforehand because it's, it's hard to buy those tickets when you get there at the stadium. It's, it's, it's insane. So do you know LC – did you know Emmanuel? Emmanuel. Um, if, he, if he graduated recently, no, because well, I graduated in, in 07. No, he, he graduated well in about 14, 15. He had, he had uh, muscular dystrophy. I heard about him. Emmanuel, yeah, and he 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 had this uh, almost this Forrest Gump ability about him, where you know Forrest Gump the movie kind of shows up everywhere. Emmanuel showed up everywhere um, in his motorized wheelchair. Yeah, and and he, his favorite player was LeBron James, and and I wrote a story about Emmanuel one time and um, wrote that his favorite player is LeBron James. LeBron somehow heard about it and sent Emmanuel this packet of stuff, oh, wow. a handwritten letter. Emmanuel was a guy that there was a there was a rally on the state at the courthouse. It might have been a Black Lives Matter rally, but like three years ago. And, and the bullhorn found its way in his hands, and he's talking to the crowd. And when Christmas Addicts played their first football game in 30, 40 years, about three, four years ago, because um, they shut down the football program for decades, their, their first home game, 30, 40 years, he was there on his motorized wheelchair. He made it, and I saw him. Um, anyway, I was just thinking about Emmanuel, that, that this right now what we're going through, the protests and all yeah. this, he's the guy that would be in the middle of it all, holding the bullhorn so anyway lc great kid yeah but the lcl in game like you mentioned like full um basketball the, how the stadiums are here how the how the arena gymnasiums are here if you you go to those games and you said it you have to get there early to get a seat in this in the at the game because for some reason which i love 
fans, LCL land, even though, even though high school stuff, the crowds aren't as great as you would want them consistently in some parts, but for big games, they're amazing. Hey, I, I, I you're right. I, I, those city rivalries are amazing. I was a, a Chittard, Chittard played LC actually. And I wanted to see Dre Davis and he was hurt that yeah. day, but yeah, the city games are great. I, I, I looked this up real quick cause I didn't say his last name. I, I do this with names. I combine names a lot. I get them wrong. Like Brian Hoyer. I've called him Brian Hoying for years just because there's a Bobby <laughs> Hoying and you know, yeah. And Emmanuel, because I'm a UFC fan, one of the first UFC fighters I ever heard of was Emmanuel Newton. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I knew Emmanuel from LC wasn't Emmanuel Newton, but I've called him Emmanuel Newton before on Twitter, even though I know him. Yeah. Do him. Anyway, it's Emmanuel Duncan. Um, so I just shout out to Emmanuel Duncan and his family. <laughs> if anybody's listening, LC kid, great, great kid. He died in 2019. He's 22 years old. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, Greg, this has been fun. If you could take some time to just promote yourself, where if people want to connect with you on Twitter, let them know. And then also kind of just tell why it's very important for people locally to subscribe to their local paper. Well, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and, and, you know, Greg Doyle and you guys spell it weird, but people can find me if they want to. I know that, but um, subscribing to Star, the, the printed product is dying. It's dying around the country. And you know, my goal, my hope is that when I retire from this job in uh, 20 years, whatever that is, I hope there's a newspaper that I can hold and retire from in my hands that day. And I don't think there will be. And, you know, I don't know anything. I don't have any insight. I, I don't, I just see what's happening. And I, I don't like the odds of there being an actual paper in 20 years. We'll be online. We're online now. We'll be digital, but I don't know. But because without subscribers, print subscribers, you know, that's a big source of revenue, huge. And we're losing them every day. So we need digital subscribers. We need them. And this is not about charity and pity and please help me have a job and help me save me. You know, the, the world needs newspapers. The world needs like, what's his name? Um, who's that evil Nasser, Larry Nasser, Michigan mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. without the Indy star, he's still molesting kids right now. And that's an extreme example of what a local newspaper can do for a community. But he's, that's what we do. We hold people accountable. Our news side holds governors and mayors accountable and, and racist cops. And, and, you know, we, you, you need us yeah. and in every city, you need us. Heaven help the country and North Korea is one of them. Russia is one of them that doesn't have us. You might not like us all the time, but you need us and you can't take us for granted because without support, we won't be here. And so, and we don't, and we're giving away the digital, we're giving it away. It's like a dollar, two, three, four dollars a month. And it's, we're giving it away. Please subscribe, please, please, please subscribe. Because there's a guy in the white house right now that would love nothing more than for people like us to not exist anymore. Newspapers. Yeah. And all I can put it to you is this way. You can think like he thinks, or you can think the exact opposite. And if you think the exact opposite, subscribe to the Star. Greg Doyle, thank you so much for coming on the Jay Stevens Podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Um, it's just been fun for me to chop it up with someone that locally knows kind of the same stories and things that I have, that I live and that I've enjoyed my entire life. Normally on the podcast, it's all about national stuff, what's going on. Before the 100th episode, like I told you earlier, I couldn't think of any other person to bring on. You had kind of a national perspective, but then you kind of, as you did so well, told about why the local scene, the state scene here in Indiana is so special. Thank you so much for being the guest of the, of the 100th episode of the Jason's podcast. Well, it was, a, it was a true honor to be asked to be number 100, first of all. Second of all is, you know, you and I are talking on Skype right now or Zoom or whatever, and people aren't going to see this. They can just hear us, but I'm looking at you this whole time. And boy, I got to tell you, as soon as the video came on and I saw who you are, just saw what you look like. I knew right away, okay, I'm safe here. You, you, you're, you're just, you, you got this air about you. Like you got a good heart. I can see it. I can see it with your heart. So appreciate talking to you. Nice to meet you here. And I hope to stay in touch for sure. One thing I enjoy 
about Greg Doyle, and it's one reason why I believe he was the perfect fit for this monumental moment here in the history of the JCM's podcast, is that he is unapologetically himself, no matter what. Doesn't matter what the trend is of the day, he is always himself, and it was portrayed so well when talking about the protests or talking about UFC or things happening locally. He's unapologetically himself, and it's enjoyable to have people in sports They don't just go with whatever trend there is in that day. They just stay with who they are, no matter what, and just go about their life living it the way that they see fit and not changing for people. And I really enjoyed that. And you saw that portrayed there in Greg's uh, conversation, his dialogue, dialogue that him and I had. It was very, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate him coming on, taking time out of his busy schedule, his busy day to be on here with me. I hope you enjoyed the enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Also, remember, there's going to be a triple dose of the podcast, the Jay Stevens podcast this week on Wednesday, the Be The Change series. We're going to have Mr. Jeff Hunt, Mr. Chris LeBron coming on to talk about just that being the change, talking about race issues in our country and also ways that we can end race race issues here in the U.S. of A. And then also on Thursday, the regular uh, time, we're going to have our second episode of the week Mr. Chris LeBron's going to be with us one more time talking about the New York football giants. All you Giants fans, you don't want to miss that conversation that Chris and I are going to have. That will drop on Thursday morning. Thank you for listening to the episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you are not on Twitter and you would love to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that search for the podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to people know about the podcast. This has been episode one zero zero of the JCM's podcast. I'll see you next time. Yo, this is Maddie Ray, and you're listening to MTMV Sports.